You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, what's up there, Surf Splendor listeners? Thanks for tuning in. This is your host, David Scales. And uh, now that the ASP World Tour is back in full swing, we will be bringing you event recaps uh, at the end of each event throughout the course of the year. And that's what today's episode is. But before we launch into that, we actually have a guest joining us in the studio who is... um, putting together an event uh, to celebrate the Endless Summer's 50th anniversary. And so he'll tell some stories about uh, the film. He was involved with it a little bit and then about the event that's coming up. So if you're in Southern California, the event is going to be in Huntington Beach. That'd be fantastic. If you want to join, I'll be there. Scott Bass will be there. Um, A lot of other people will be there. But if you're not local, I think that uh, they've got some cool stuff on their website that you could check out, which is surfingheritage.org. So um, enjoy today's show. If you're a fan of Surf Splendor, I would encourage you the best way to kind of invest into the show is just to share the show with a friend. It's easy enough to do via email or Facebook. Just post your favorite episode on their wall or send them an email. And, um, and that just helps the show to grow. And, it, and the more people that are listening, the more episodes we will be able to produce. And it has been growing. And so we're grateful for you sharing this, this product. Um, you can follow us on social media at Surf Splendor on Instagram and Twitter, and then facebook.com forward slash Surf Splendor. Our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com, has links and additional show media for everything that we discuss in every episode, as well as an archive of all past episodes and even an archive of all the music that's used in each episode. So definitely check that out. You can leave comments in the comments section on each uh, show page. It's a great way to get involved and just continue this conversation. So thanks again for tuning in. We're really glad to have you guys on board, and uh, I hope that you enjoy today's show. Hey now, down the line, Surf Talk Radio. Welcome, everybody. It is uh, March 12th, 2014, and it's a beautiful day here in Southern California, as it often is. Um, we are broadcasting live from, well, not live, but... Um, live to tape. That's from the old days when I used to broadcast live. That came out just rather yeah. randomly. We're broadcasting from the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center broadcast studios. They have this incredible library that we're sitting in, David and I, and, um, and it's absolutely gorgeous, and it's wood grain, and it's deep, dark leather, and makes you, you know... You could almost order a martini in here, quite frankly. <laughs> oh, yeah. And um, we are joined by the executive director of the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center and somebody who uh, I'm very honored to say is a friend of mine, Mr. Paul Strau. Paul, welcome. Thank you very much, Scott. And, of course, David Scales, our co-host, my co-host. Good to be here, Scott. 
And I thought what we'd do is um, we've got a big year. 2014 is a big year for a number of reasons, not the least of which is uh, the endless summer. Bruce Brown's timeless movie is celebrating its 50 years of existence. And um, Paul, you and the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center have um, joined forces, so to speak, with Bruce Brown and, and the Endless Summer folks. And tell us a little bit uh, about what you guys are doing. Well, first of all, you know, 50 years, that's quite a milestone. I mean, it, I shudder to think about the fact that, that much time You look time good is... for 50, by the way. I wanted <laughs> yeah. to say that right yeah, now. Yeah, right. <laughs> Okay, thank you. <laughs> but it, it still makes me uh, wince a little bit that that much time has gone by. But it's quite a momentous event um, and, and, and goes to speak to uh, the legacy of Bruce Brown and his work. Um, when, when I think back over the fact that Bruce shot this film and spent, you know, a lot of time putting it together. And it was a, a very courageous effort, not knowing what he would encounter, you know, and along with Robert and Mike. Um, I mean that in, in multiple ways, encountering uh, Robert and Mike's experiences, yeah. you know, together. Sure. As well as a surf. But, you know, when, it was, when it's all said and done and you look back at the waves that they had, or the misfortune they had with the surf not being, you know, as it had been touted or expected. I mean, it was really a miracle of what he, a masterpiece that he created with the film, you yeah. know, because he uses creative storytelling genius, which I think um, goes and maybe is diminished a little bit and not really fully recognized, but his talent was the use of his language and metaphors and, and, um, very humorous depiction of what what uh, would normally be, you know, potentially very drab and colorless. Or even um, sort of like a niche film, you know, and he had the ability to make it captivating, as you say, with his words, with his language, his ability in the editing room, so that somebody like my grandmother in Kansas, okay. right, could enjoy the movie. And that speaks to Bruce Brown's brilliance. Yeah, I mean... You know, besides Bruce at that time, uh, there had been a few others that had ventured off in filmmaking, you know. And, and aside from, I mean, that was the only connection that growing up in Hawaii that we had, you know, before. It was only through these uh, Kiwanis film type uh, movie sessions that uh, Bud Brown, you know, brought to Hawaii. And then later with Bruce and John Severson, that gave you a, a more accurate glimpse of you know, surfing outside of Hawaii, aside from the time when, when these um, heroes of mine would come to Hawaii to ride the surf there. Who? Uh, oh, there, there are a lot of them. Like who? Um, Ricky Gray? Well, I can, I can remember sitting on the beach and watching Phil Edwards and Dewey uh -huh. when they came over with, with Bud um, and uh, riding at Makaha, and the waves were maybe, oh, six feet, a little bigger overhead. But they surfed entirely different, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and it was fascinating. I learned a lot from both of them, you know. They, they, they surfed differently, but their distinctive uh, transfer of weight and, 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 and using a lot of torquing movements with their body, it was a little different from the... So, so the Hawaiian style, how would you describe that in, in relation to what you saw Phil Edwards and, and uh, Dewey? Well, Hot dogging versus regal? Yeah, yeah, I would say yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, the the style that started in Waikiki kind of matriculated out to the North Shore and mm -hmm. the bigger surf, but it was more of a graceful way of gliding across, you know, yeah. the wave. Yeah. And, and uh, it wasn't a really hard edge turning. I, especially, I used to watch guys surf. I started surfing the North Shore when I was 15. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to have had Bob Shepard make me a... a, a a balsa gun that was 10-4, but and it really suited me perfectly, you know. Uh, but I was amazed at how they would take off and then angle the board, and and you know travel across the way, but without doing much turning. Mm -hmm. A lot of it had to do with the, the the way the the board was shaped, especially the fin placement and the size of the fin, mm. and it it actually would just roll over if you tried to put it on edge. Yeah. And so, you know, when Phil and Dewey came over, and to me, they were the ones who really grabbed my attention. Um, it and they was, influenced you the way uh, you started to surf. Huge, yeah, yeah hugely. I mean, I, it was funny, you know, it's like, I remember watching a James Bond film, you know, with Sean Connery, and you almost walk out of the theater with a little ref, more refined digni dignity. Right. You know, you kind sure. of assume that, Right. Presence, you know, and it's the same, it was the same for me in watching someone that you had only heard what other people shared, cool. you know, verbally. So yeah. that was very special. That's neat. Yeah. And what about um, the one guy when I think of hot dogging in Hawaii is Rabbit Kakai. And I know he's a guy that you probably looked at and just wow, this guy's rad. Yeah, I mean, he was very, very good. Yeah. And it's, you know, he was, in fact, he still is, uh, as far as he'll never. He's a classic guy. Yeah, really. Sir. Well, back to the movie, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, the one mistake that Bruce Brown made, why didn't he have Paul Strow in this film? Well, I was in it in just a small <laughs> section, but... I'm just busting your balls. No, it's okay. <laughs> Put you on the spot there, man. No. But it was really kind of funny because Bruce was in Hawaii and he asked me, he says, how would you like to go you know, with me and travel around? I mean, we're not sure where we're going, but we're going to be going to some really neat places and I haven't even been to most of them. And I, and I said, well, what are you going to do? He says, oh, just a, a surf trip. You know, we're going to go to these different uh, locations and see what the waves are like and experience that. I said, where? He says, well, we're not really sure yet. And I said, how long are you going to be going? And he says, well, we're not sure about that. It all depends on what happens, you know. And, and uh, so I said, well, God, I, I'm going to college right now and, you know, I don't know if I could just bail like that. <laughs> Sounds kind of sketchy. Yeah, but I said, if you could give me more, you know, dates and things like this, he says, no, but I can let you know in about two weeks. I said, well, geez, I can't do that, you know. Right. And I kind of regret it because yeah. it would have been really special, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I got to live the adventure through the film itself. Well, I, mean, I know you are in the film. There's a couple ways of you writing yeah. in the film. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Where Where's that at? It was at a place on, on the uh, southern uh, coastline of Oahu uh, called Number Threes. Mm. It's probably one of the closest waves that I would think you can compare to the California coastline mm. and the wave. One of the problems, it's, it, it's, it sits directly offshore about maybe half a mile. Yeah. Uh, and so it's very susceptible to the trade winds and mm. blow right into the wave mm. uh, from, the, from a side angle. Mm. But they hold up the wave. But they're usually really heavy, typical heavy trade winds. So yeah. it's not as uh, glassy that you would find a California wave. You know? right. but, it, but the curl and the way the wave breaks is very similar to mm. oh, maybe a section of Rincon, you know, yeah. a place like that. 
Cool. So, um, the Serving Heritage and Culture Center. Yes. They are um, putting on this event to celebrate the endless summer, and it, and and quite frankly, at this event, and I'm going to have you tell us a little bit about it. But stories um, are going to be told. Bruce Brown's going to be there. I mean, there's a lot of um, of endless summer um, regalia, I guess you could say, that's going to be there. So, tell us a little bit about this event. Well, what's going to be special is that. You know, we have, we being Surfing Heritage, have just recently acquired the Endless Summer uh, collection, uh, which was purchased by us from a New York stockbroker who had acquired it directly from Bruce Brown almost 15 years ago and had uh, curated the collection to having the pieces framed. Most of them were framed and, and ready for exhibit. And some of the pieces included things like uh, Robert August's uh, uh, competition uh, outfit from Jacob Surfworth, mm. his, his shorts and his jacket, and even his uh, passport that he used to travel back in uh, the early 60s cool. with Bruce. Yeah. And, uh, and, and a lot of uh, interesting photos. I mean, I'm looking right at the uh, event um, postcard that we are using to promote the event, and we added next to the historic uh, John Van Hammersville poster design, that, that golden sun, uh, a five, to yeah. kind of simulate the... Five up. Yeah, 50th year. Yeah. Um, but very few people know where this was. This photo, the original photo was taken from which this poster was designed. Do you know? I've heard this story. Either John or... Um, John Van Hammersville or... Um, the guy in Del Mar, uh, R. Paul Allen, maybe told me. Uh -huh. Go ahead. Let me know. Well, it's interesting because part of the collection, there's a series of photos, I think there are four of them, that are black and white, that uh, were marked up by, by I think it's R. Paul, uh, and then also used uh, by, and marked further by John, you know, that uh, kind of outlined what he wanted to glean in terms of the essence of that photo and then translate into a, um, a design, you yeah. know? And uh, the photo was actually taken at uh, Salt Creek. Oh, wow, you I know? did not know that. Yeah, and, and it's hard to see That's because cool. it's been, a, you know, modified quite a bit. Oh. But when you look at the placement of the guys waiting and looking at the horizon of the ocean, you know, you can see the connection. And it was... Uh, well, they were looking at Salt Creek. It's no wonder they split. <laughs> <laughs> well, we both know it gets good, but... <laughs> we don't want to populate the area, though. <laughs> uh, well, when is the event? The event will be on May 3rd, 2014, yeah. at the um, Waterfront Beach Resort, uh, located in Huntington Beach, California. Right. And uh, it's going to start... Uh, early around four o'clock, mm -hmm. uh, we're opening up the uh, a separate section of the venue for uh, viewing the uh, endless summer collection, and uh, we're hoping to have uh, some guest uh, artists uh, perform music there. So it's going to be kind of a gathering place and um, uh, old stories to be told, and and then the memorabilia will be on exhibit in view as well. So it's going to be fun. Now, the actual event will start at 6 p.m. in the main okay. uh, ballroom. All right, so it's the Hilton in Huntington Beach, right? Yes. The Hilton Waterfront Resort in Huntington Beach. It's Saturday, May 3rd. Correct. And how could somebody like me get tickets for this? Very easily. Um, just go to 
uh, surfingheritage.org, O-R-G, which is our website. And right on the main front page, you'll find, you can't miss it. Yeah. Uh, that iconic uh, poster will be there. And there's a link that you just simply click, and it'll open up directly to the event page. And then there are tickets available. There are different uh, classifications of tickets available, including the VIP party and, and the main uh, event. So we cool. welcome everybody to sign up. We're, we're somewhat limited in terms of seating. You know, we have under 500 seats available. Yeah. And we've already sold about 150 of them. Yeah. Uh, and so... Uh, we're getting some celebrities that were are in the film to come by, and some noteworthy guys. I had to tell one guy to refrain from profanity, which he uses quite regularly <laughs> at the event. But it's gonna—I know he's gonna. Corky Carroll's gonna be no, there. No, no, no. Corky's not. <laughs> Unfortunately, Corky would be great. He would be good. No, he's—he's he's, as you know down in Mexico, and he has yeah. a, a group coming in, so he's gonna have okay. to take care of that. Business. So we've got some celebs, some some noteworthy VIPs, of course, Robert and. Robert August and Mike Hinson will be there. Indeed, yes. And um, Bruce Brown will be there. Yes. And, and Paul so Stroud will be there. Yep. And yep. John Von Hammersfeld will be there. Yeah. And, and Wingnut. You know, we got Wingnut to uh, moderate the... Uh, Wingnut's the guy you had to put the kibosh on, <laughs> on the cuss words. I, I know him. He's been known to drop some F-bombs. <laughs> uh, it's got to be a, a great evening. I hope everyone that has uh, watched the film and uh, shared the... The enjoyment about you know searching for that ideal perfect wave uh, will come and celebrate. Cool. Well, thanks, Paul Strau. I appreciate you coming in and chatting with us about that. It's going to be a fun day. Saturday, May third. Surfingheritage.org is where you will go to purchase your tickets, and we hope to see you there. And um, yeah, great. thanks, buddy. Thank you. Good stuff. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. That was great. Oh, I'll thanks. be there. Okay. <laughs> When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
So um, that was good. Uh, Paul Stroud, the executive director of the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, chatting with us a little bit about the upcoming event, big event, 50 years of in the summer. And um, that will lead us into uh, surfsplendorpodcast.com and David Scales, City Quietly. Uh, you let me kind of handle that whole thing. I was uh, hoping you were going to chime in there. Uh, no, man, you nailed it. That was pure gold. Yeah. That was awesome. All right. Really cool. Yeah. Cool stories that I didn't know about right. the endless Paul's summer. Paul's got some great stories. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so where do we go from here? Well, we, quick pro recap, quick, dude. Quicksilver Pro and the Roxy Pro have finished the first event of the summer. Um, pretty exciting event overall, I would say. Why don't you lead off with some yeah, comments yeah. and we'll see where we go. I thought it was a great event. Um, the nuts and bolts are that... Gabriel Medina won against Joel Parkinson in the final of the Quicksilver Pro. Stephanie Gilmore won over Bianca Butendog um, in the finals of the Roxy Pro. So it was a regular footer versus goofy footer in each heat. And the Cooley female won in one heat and the Cooley kid lost in the other heat. But um, all in all, I would say fantastic surfing throughout the event. And I would also say great event in general. Like, they were presented with some pretty challenging, of a challenging forecast, where there was about a week worth of lay days in the middle of competition. But in the end, when you look at all the heat surfed, great waves across the board, you know? Let me say this about the women's event. Um, the, the sort of the buildup was Carissa versus Steph. Basically... Um, in most people's eyes, the two greatest female surfers in the world right now. For sure. And um, that was, that was um, you know, we had like a week, as you say, to sort of build up to this event, to this to this semifinal. And it was a bit of a letdown. Carissa didn't really seem to have her legs under her. Um, it, it just seemed like the nerves got the better of her. And um, that, that was a bit of a bummer. That It was sort of a, you know, just like a sort of a ho-hum heat, at least mm -hmm. the way... Carissa didn't surf to the level that she's capable of. Well, certainly not to the level that she surfed in the previous heat. Maybe that was a week ago. such a high bar that she yeah. had set that it was like we expect that every time. But she did seem a little bit off of... And the waves were bumpy, as you recall. Mm -hmm. She she hit a bunch of chop, especially early in the heat. And um, it just didn't seem like she was in good rhythm. Yeah, and everybody's entitled to a bad heat. And I, I think that she is consistent across the board. That's never really been in question. So I don't doubt that we'll see her rebound at the next event, you know, and I'm sure she'll be back on top. But to Stephanie's credit, she surfed incredibly well. I What I love about Stephanie that I, I think Carissa does have it as well, but it is very few other female surfers do, which is power and kind of loose finesse where she'll do a major rail carve, but then just kind of release the tail at the last moment, you know, and it's the power is remindful of some of the best men surfing, but that extra finesse that is kind of feminine and just beautiful to watch. And um, Steph, I think, does that best at Snapper as well. That's kind of where you see all the elements align, and it's really, really an amazing thing to watch. And You've got know. a thing for Steph, don't you? Just Dude, go ahead and say it. Without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Love me some Steph. Oh, man. So, so no, that was incredible. Um, one real quick side note. Yeah. Um, you play fantasy surfer. Yes. How'd your team do? I scored like seven hundred and ten points. I was fifth in my uh, club, which has about twenty five guys in it. Okay. Across the board, I think people got 
did pretty poorly because yeah, so many so many of the top guys lost yeah. early. But um, I was in the morning show of one of the days of competition. They were recapping people who had done well at Fantasy Surfer, and they post a little graphic up there with the guy's name and blah blah blah. So they they gave a shout out to Todd Hamilton, who is one of our listeners, oh, who we've gotten yeah. emails from and I've seen on social media. So I was like, Todd Hamilton, that name sounds familiar. So I Instagrammed him and I'm like, dude, did they put your name up there this uh, morning? Todd Klein, give you a shout out. He's like, yeah, I think it was me. That's cool. Well, so, you know, the, the thing with that though is that I can't imagine that they are touting Surfer Magazine's fantasy surfer game. They must have been touting their very own ASP fantasy surfer game. Yeah, I probably misspoke. So it's fantasy. no wonder that Todd did well because there's only five guys that are in that thing. <laughs> you, me, and him, and then two others? No, I'm in, I'm in Fantasy Surfer on Surfer Magazine. Okay. I'm I mean, in both. We're, we're the millions of us. Fair enough. <laughs> so that you can come I'm in 9,000th nine, 9, place instead of <laughs> 600. I'm just teasing, Todd. Congratulations, buddy. I'm stoked for you. Um, no, so, but I don't know who he had on his team if they did well because my team did horrifically with Jordy going down and Jay, John John Florence going down and Julian. Yeah. They were all key guys for me. Yeah. But uh, at any rate, um, what, do you want to talk about judging for a minute? Sure. That'd be kind of one of the main topics to discuss. Sure, sure. It To me, you're, there's always going to be criticism about the judging. Yeah. I'll go out there and say I thought the judging was pretty consistent throughout the whole event. And I also thought that it, it whether you agree or disagree with so-and-so should have won the heat, the judging reflected their criteria. Yeah. There's been times in the past where it doesn't even seem to reflect the own criteria that they've set out, you know? Yeah. But this time around, I felt like they judged critical surfing in the pocket uh, highly. And Well, there was a... I would agree with you. First of all, it's very easy to, they're the easy go-to scapegoat, but they did a great job. There was a couple of heats. There was a heat with Freddie Fataccia. I had that written down too. Where they, Freddie was kind of scratching his head. He, you know, he was kind of going, I thought I had it. And then you, of course, during the webcast, you saw him speaking with Kelly and CJ about, hey, what is it they want? Do they want style? Do they want flow? You know, there was some... So that's one heat. Anyway, that's one heat. You know, yeah. I'll let the listener go and, and watch that heat. That was Freddie versus, uh, do you remember You're him? talking about the one that he lost? Yes. Yeah. One that he lost. It. He thought he had the winning ride in the last seconds. He fell on the very final maneuver, which right. I don't think is that big a deal. And I'm surprised how big of a deal it seems to have become with the announcers and the webcast crew. Yeah, I have, along those lines, I was noticing this kind of law of diminishing returns in a sense with the rides where if you do, it kind of actually goes in contrary to what you just said. But a lot of times I notice you can do big maneuvers kind of on that second half of the ride, but they seem to get scored lower the farther you go down the line than they do at the beginning. So let's just say, for example, you get a wave that starts off mushy work it through the slow section, and then get to that inside bank and do five massive turns, they're not likely to give you more than a five or a six. Whereas if you did five massive turns on the outside and then work through the middle section and kick out, they might give you a seven or an eight. And it's not always the case that the outside is a larger portion of the wave. Sometimes it gets bigger on the inside. So it's hard to even say that the 
you know that's that's the interesting point of what you're saying yeah. is that snapper can grow and as everyone knows it jumps onto that second bank and it's at a whole nother wave and it can be a larger wave if this was another spot i would say that that's the right and proper thing to do to right. immediately score for the high maneuver in in the beginning of the wave but um let me throw out another scenario yeah let's imagine um who kelly slater right gets a wave does some incredible maneuvers out the back and uh, let's say five incredible maneuvers on the bigger on the outside of the wave. Andy, you let's say he's banking about a seven point score from there. He could do thirteen maneuvers yeah. through the inside and get a seven point eight or whatever. Exactly. Right. And so that those thirteen maneuvers were only worth a point or less yeah. than a point. Yeah. Whereas if he would have just kicked out, they would have gave him a seven. Why even surf to the inside? You yeah. know. And really, the reason why is because it comes down to winning the heat by half a point or a point in the end. So you want to edge out your opponent that way. But just but in terms right. of you're, the you're scale, right. yeah, the diminishing returns. Is it's a, the law of diminishing returns yeah. for sure. And 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 to get back to the whole finishing the wave thing, I'm. It doesn't. I don't recall. I I know it's important to nail your last turn but how important is it to, to nail one last two foot closeout floater when you've done 35 incredible smashing off the lips you know it's like it's important in adding points to the score but it shouldn't take away points from what you've already done yeah and how many are you adding for that one turn when you just said well, he just point did, two you know right and so yeah i don't know it's you it just seemed like I, and I read some stuff online too that I sort of agreed with. It seems like we may be reverting a little bit to the sort of NSSA three to the beach mentality rather than moving forward in this. A couple of years ago, even last year maybe, we were in this real progressive place judging wise where if you did one banging incredible aerial, you know, you, you get a nine five. Right. Or I remember Martin Potter, I think, even talking about the two, oh no, it was Barton Lynch, the two turn eight, where it's almost more impactful to see a guy get a steep wave and just do two massive turns on it and they give him an eight point ride. Whereas somebody else would get a wave and do 13 turns and get a 6.5, you yeah. know? And those th there might've been two amazing turns in that 13 point or 13 turn ride, but it doesn't matter. They almost get dumbed down because you just thinned out the whole process, right, you know? Right. So I don't know what's going on. I don't think that this thing's gonna just continue to evolve, but it, it is, those things are happening, you yeah. know? And I don't know that uh, that they're really just in those scores. The other heat that, that had some judging sort of question marks, if you will, was the heat with C.J. Hobgood, where he even kind of questioned if he had won the heat or not. It, and I, I apologize because I don't remember who he was surfing against. Yeah, I'm not sure if I saw that heat. But um, he, he was kind of, you know, the guy that he was surfing against got a wave at the very last second, rode it all the way through, wasn't very special. And CJ was out in the water kind of scratching his head going, I don't think I got through. You know, mm. Even though they announced it, he's like, maybe there's still another score to drop here. And so there was a couple of those. But overall, I'd say that the judging, it, it, you know, it's, it's sort of hard to, you can't, you can't say they did a bad job. I think, And I would suggest that they did a good job. I would give them like a B plus. Yeah. What about on a 10 point scale? <laughs> 8.5 it depends if they nail the last move or not that's true well the last move was the final with gabriel and i think they nailed that so well um one guy that i want to bring up is uh, miguel pupo who i thought surfed great but he sort of has a little bit of a featherweight vibe to his surfing like he's got these like pencil thin legs and he shreds and he throws tons of buckets, but you just don't get the sense that it's power. It's almost like these finesse turns with a lot of spray coming off of his fins and his boards. 
And oh, by the way, fins and tails, excuse me, will do that. Mm -hmm. You can do a little turn if you have the right fin configuration. You're going to throw a lot of spray relative to, say, a single fin that has way more torque in it. But um, Miguel Pupu, I enjoy surfing, by the way. I'm a fan of his. But uh, it's noticeably, I don't want to say weak, but it's, it's kind of featherweight relative to like just Kelly or Parco or Fanning. I mean, you're, these guys are making some powerful, even Carissa Moore, making some powerful hacks. And, and Miguel seems real light on his feet and kind of like in a way like Gabriel, but who has, Gabe, I think has more power. Just a little bit like light on his feet. Feather like which, Machado? A little Rob bit. Machado well, Rob's my friend, so I'm going to say it for the record, Rob surfs with power. But, but Rob, I think, is admittedly kind of light on his feet, you know, and that's one of that's something that's graceful about his surfing. Um, Miguel Pupo, in contrast to Freddie P, maybe. Yeah. Be a great that, contrast. That's a great, Freddie, that's a great contrast. Freddie yeah. P's kind of. Or Wilco. Yeah, all back footed, yeah. just power. Yeah. See, I never thought that about Miguel. And even as you say it, I can hear where you're coming from, but I don't fully, fully subscribe to it because. Um, a lot of it might be that he loads up that bottom turn so incredibly that he has so much speed that he the top turns are just very effortless because he's just got tons of speed to burn up there. I found Miguel drawing different lines than any other goofy footer that I saw throughout the entire event. Where everybody's turns are generally punctuated, his I just saw like these almost arc, arching or arcing Aki-esque kind of power, not power, but... Um, I don't know, more drawn out, using more rail. Matt Warshaw uh, tweeted something at one of, during one of his heats saying that it looks like he's riding like three extra silky inches of board compared to everybody else. And he kind of is, you know. And I, I commented back to that that I think Bianca Butendog had a similar board, you know, kind of three extra inches of board that she seemed to be riding too. And, um, and it looks good when you know how to use it and when it's drawn out on the wave. Can I just say that Bianca Butendog, that name sounds like a dog. Like there's, I know dogs named that are Bianca and then Butendog, like that's yeah, a tough yeah. name. Yeah, it is. She's a great surfer and a great looking woman. Yeah. And I'm not out to I'm a fan. her. I just think the name's rather interesting. It's a pretty great name. And by the way, I'm just being hyper, I don't even think I'm being critical of Miguel. I loved watching yeah, him surf. I just sense that he, he didn't seem to have the power quotient that some of the other guys have. Yeah, interesting. I don't know. Um... One more thing about judging. I find it difficult to judge front side versus backside. And so in both those finals, that's kind of what we were doing. You know, it's like, is Parco's barrel and a couple of big effortless carves equivalent to Miguel going straight up and down on his backhand? And I think they judged that heat correctly, but there were a number of heats throughout the kind of third and fourth, third round mainly, where it was... Two goofy footers against each other. Two regular footers against each other. And i that's when I noticed that it was actually easier to judge and more enjoyable to watch almost. Because you could really definitively say, so-and-so won the heat. Yeah. You know? um, it's interesting, the, the goofy foot versus regular foot um, conundrum, if you will. When you think about it, it seems as if all the really good waves, it might be to your benefit to be a goofy foot. Snapper rocks, the goofy foot's... Seem to do well. Mm -hmm. Here's a here's a way of bells. Goofy foots generally don't do well at bells. It's this soft kind of fat. It's almost like Carter Freak. It's yeah. just this really weird way. But the really good Polynesian waves, you know, Chopu, the backsiders seem to do well. Uh, Cloudbreak, the backsiders seem to do well. Snapper, they seem to do well. 
it's it's sort of a, you know I need to chew on it some more. But um, do you have a preference to surf front side or backside? I prefer going front side. But, really? But I I don't have a preference. I I haven't gone left since I was forty years old. But <laughs> but if a good one comes, I'm gonna go. So that was like 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, it's been twenty years since I um, left. Um. Yeah. You know. Uh, maybe backside's the new front side, man. Like, <laughs> it seems like that's who's doing better on tour. You know, winning pipe, Kelly winning pipe. Well, uh, pipe pipe always seems to be the... Well, that, but a lot of times they're winning it back door, though. So maybe my little hypothesis isn't quite holding water. I, I was I noticed in this event particularly, Goofy Flitters really uh, overperformed, I'd say, or over-exceeded my expectations. And Some then, of them failed. The CJ looked great, but what about Ace and Nat Young both didn't, and Wilco for that matter? Wilco, Where were they? Yeah, Nat Young made some heats, and CJ he, did. I too. saw one. CJ did great, yeah. but Nat Young, I saw one heat. I want. I don't. It might have been against Kelly where he just looked yeah. off. Yeah, he he looked, he looked off, off that heat, but he won all his other heats up until then. And then Miguel Pupo and. Uh, Obviously, Gabe yeah, Medina won yeah. the event. Freddie P looked great, and then the regular footers underperformed by by and large. John John Florence, Jordy Smith, Julian Wilson, you know. Yeah. So um, going into Snapper, I put all my money. I think my fantasy team reflected it. I had Owen Wright. I think was my only goofy footer. Everybody else was regular foot, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but then the regular footers disappeared, and the goofy showed up. Yeah. So. And Owen looked good for his first event back. He lost that heat with a 9.8 or something crazy. But I think he looked really strong. He looks the most fit I've ever seen him look. Like, the guy's shredded. Doesn't have an ounce of body fat on him. So, I'm excited to see his return. Yeah, I'm going to keep him on my team. I had him on my team as well. And I'm going I'm to stick with him. Uh, we got a few interesting gossipy tidbits that took place during the event. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Fill me in, brother. Let's do it. Adriano running over Jeremy Flores. Okay, I don't know anything about this. I, I heard some chatter on the hater net about this, but uh, give us some insight. What happened exactly? Okay, so it was all to do with a priority rule, okay? Um, Jeremy Flores needed a score, and he took off deep. Did one big, awesome opening turn, came out of the turn, and Adriano's on the shoulder seeing Jeremy Flores is going to get this score on this wave. Adriano has priority. So Adriano's like, screw it, I'm going. All that is totally legitimate up until this next part. As Adriano drops in, he takes off kind of on the in the whitewash a little bit. Jeremy Flores, honestly, should have redirected and bailed as soon as he saw Adriano uh, paddling into the wave. But he continued projecting forward. Adriano gets hung up in the whitewash and disappears in the whitewash momentarily and then runs into Jeremy Flores. Once Jeremy realizes that Adriano is not going to fully make the drop, he kind of releases off of his board only just in time to not get hit by Adriano's board. But Adriano's board does run over Jeremy's board itself, even though Jeremy's not on it any longer. And then Adriano falls, of course, off the front, head over heels. And so it looked like a priority mishap. Um, it was Jeremy caught the wave first, but Adriano implemented his priority. Jeremy now uh, conflicted with Adriano's scoring potential. Therefore, Jeremy was going to get deemed an interference on. They both paddled back out. The controversy came about with 
everybody saying, look, if Jeremy Flores wasn't on that wave, Adriano easily would have made that drop. The reason why he didn't was because he wanted Jeremy to incur the interference. Because if he would have just stood off, stood up and raced down the line, Jeremy wouldn't have gotten an interference because he didn't conflict with Adriano's scoring potential. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If Adriano would have just surfed the wave, which he could have, it was a great wave. Right. If Jeremy wasn't there, he would have still went on that wave and would have tried to get a 10 on it, right, like right. he always does. But he, in a really uncharacteristic error, didn't make the drop. Which I don't think we've ever seen Adriano not do. You know right, what I mean? So he planned the interference. That's well. that's what they're saying, and planned it by running over his opponent. So, I, <laughs> first of all, can I just say that this is the greatest thing that perhaps happened at the whole event? I'm so bummed I didn't see this. This the, is awesome. They have heat analyzer. This they is called, go back. This is called defense. This is what I'm talking about when we talk about sport. Great sport. Yeah. Offense and defense. It made for great sport sporting and bad sportsmanship but good sporting you know drama but i think the even greater moment was when um rosie hodge interviewed jeremy flores post heat Uh-oh. and i'll read you his quote he said he ran me over i've never had that happen in my career he easily would have made that drop if i wasn't on that wave he showed really poor sportsmanship but i'm not surprised i wouldn't expect anything less from him and everybody knows it Nice, I love it. So thank God for Jeremy Flores for speaking his mind and the and his and his heart. Well, I thought it was kind of cool, and then they also let the commentators discuss it a little bit, you know. And they each shared... they let the commentators. The commentators should discuss it at length ad nauseum. It's way more entertaining than you know hearing about whoever's you know fourteen inch squash tail. I fully agree, but as we learned with Bobby Martinez in New York they're likely to cut away from that sort of a thing, that's, you know? This is probably the greatest post-heat interview in the history of the ASP. Totally. In fact, it is the greatest post-heat interview in the history of the ASP. It is. And so, um, basically, I'm not a huge... I think... The ASP needs this type of thing. Of course. They don't they realize do. it now, but they need this type of thing. Well, maybe they do, because like I said, they actually discussed it amongst themselves. Yeah. The, the commentators do. Yeah. So, one, one other note is I think... Jeremy Flores has had questionable, questionable kind of um, conduct in the past as well. So I'm not a huge Jeremy fan, but I honestly think that he has a point. And he also is speaking the truth when he says um, he wouldn't expect anything less of Adriano and everybody knows it. Because really, that is the, the gossip around the ASP site and around the internet is like, dude, Adriano is super cutthroat and he's in it to win it. And my question to you, Scott, is Adriano's cutthroat mentality a good long-term strategy? Well, as a fan, I love it. I'm glad that he's like that. I think you should be. I think that um, being cutthroat is just another term for competitive. It's kind of like with women. You know, you, you call them a bitch, but they're actually just being successful. You know, and, and so I'm a fan. I'm stoked that Adriano's doing whatever it takes to win and continues to do whatever it takes to win. I'm not a big fan of his surfing. Uh, he surfs incredible, don't get me wrong, but he, he lacks a little bit of style. But we've talked about that in the past. But regarding cutthroat mentality, is it a long-term strategy that'll pay off? I think it will if he was a rookie or something. I, maybe not. But um, look, everyone knows it. It sounds like they all know it. And um, why change? You know, it, he's, you know I, I'm, I'm sort of a fan. Really? Yeah. 
I don't know. Do you, it I makes mean, for great sport. Every ma- don't you want to watch the next Adriano Jeremy Flores heat if it ever happens? Of course we do. Now it's going to be like, the best. Dude. Yeah, yeah. See, and that's why because of what Jeremy said because of the way Adriano acts. I mean, this is exactly the type of rivalry that needs to be nurtured and fed and um, watered. I think the only thing that it that it conflicts with is letting the surfing do the talking. Like I'd rather see two guys go out there and surf it out. Well, they're gonna. I mean, this. No, they're not though, because now Jeremy's score is cut in half. If Adriano would have dropped in on that wave and ripped it hey, to let it score, that's speed. Jeremy's fault for not kicking out of that wave sooner. As soon as you see the guy with priority going, two things can happen: you can bail out of the wave and you're good, or you can keep going. And for what's the upside to keep going again? Well, Jeremy wasn't trying to pass Adriano. Jeremy was just going with the direction of the wave, assuming Adriano's going to drop in and rip this thing, and so. Right, but what's Adriano the took side of Jeremy continuing to go. There's a two at most two seconds that he had to either cut hard left or to the beach and bail, which is what he should have done. He didn't. You would never think to do that. But 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 yeah, you I, would. If you're a competitor, you would because well, what now, if you keep going? You risk what? An interference. Right. Do you now want you know. an interference as a competitor? Of course not. You don't. I'm and placating you a little. Of bit course, no. But but now I think Jeremy was saying that is hey now I know now I know what to expect from him. He sh- every, I wouldn't expect every that from competitor. Kelly. Should expect that from every guy. Like it, you're you're not being a smart competitor if you don't expect the worst possible. Outcome. Yeah, you're absolutely right. What I'm again going to throw to is I'd rather just see the surfing do the talking. I would rather have well, seen it. Did, any- but I'm saying it did do the talking. No. The surfing did the to- what? What did Jeremy? How did Jeremy surfing get? He wasn't going to get scored, was he? No, but what I'm saying is I'd rather see Adriano surf that wave and try to get a 10-point ride and then Jeremy paddle back out and try to get a 10-point ride and see who surfs better. Not now Jeremy scores cut in half and now it's it's a lost cause. I blame that on Jeremy. I agree with you. But but given all all scenarios, I'd rather watch good surfing. You know what I mean? But I agree just, those tactics... There's videos for that. You just go watch yeah. a video. <laughs> No, you're right. And it made for exciting, and I'm kind of like just arguing for the sake of arguing. Yeah. But, you know. Stick to your guns. Yeah, I did. Um, (laughs) So one last note on Adriano, though, is that he later beat Kelly Slater in round five. I saw that. And I will say, to Adriano's credit, he gave a classy post-heat interview. He really did. He really did. It was over-the-top classy. It was like... It was almost like he was coached. The the praise that he was giving to everybody and the humility and humbleness that he was showing. Yeah, and one thing he said was like, hey, look, this was a big deal for me, but this is nothing compared to what Kelly Slater's done in our sport. I am nothing compared to Kelly Slater. Said that. Yeah, well, he's right. He's right. (laughs) But, I mean, it wasn't what I would expect. My wife was actually sitting near me at the time, and... She's like, oh, is that the guy who you don't like? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, expecting him to justify why I don't like him. And then she listened to his interview and like, it, he sounded great. She couldn't, couldn't agree with me, you know, yeah. for not liking him. So I, mean, I will um, say this about Kelly is that, is that he again proved to me that he's in a class above all, all of them. Did he really? Yeah. Explain a, uh, give just, me an example just, of when just, and where. Uh, pretty much, even when he fails, he looks he looks great. Really? Yeah. I thought he failed pretty miserably. Well, he did. He didn't catch waves. He was bummed that the waves didn't come his way. It was a little off out there. It wasn't like all time pure snapper. It was, there were all, you know, every wave that came in wasn't necessarily a, a scorable wave. And yeah. That, and he was bummed about that. But it, I mean, you just see him enter the water, and you, he just surfs 
you know, I, I'm not going to try to verbalize how incredibly, as everybody knows. Yeah. I just think that he's still heads and, you know, heads and shoulders above all of them. I agree with you completely. He is unreal. Did you see the Inertia's headspace no, pieces that they did with him? No, I bet it was good. They did, uh, posted two separate videos. I want to see that. They're 10 minutes each. Yeah. They're interviewing him at the U.S. Open in 2012. I don't know why they took so long to release the footage. Or maybe they bought the footage from somebody else who interviewed him. Who interviewed Kelly. Uh, it doesn't say. Is there a voice? No, you uh, can't hear the him voice. Talking or... They put up the question in text uh. and in black and white and then cut to Kelly talking about it. Oh, cool. But my what I was going to say is um, they are interesting and they're asking him questions unrelated to surfing. Good. Like good. asking him about gun control good. and about politics and things. That's so good. I love But that. what I will say to your point is that you feel like you're in the presence of greatness. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I've been around him a couple times. There was one other scenario in my life. I've heard people use that term, you know, the presence of greatness. And you, uh, you're you not sure how to define that from the presence of goodness or, or niceness or something like that. Except for there was one time in my life, uh, my wife and I went to UC Irvine to see Maya Angelou speak. And I was not necessarily a fan. Maybe I read a book or two prior to that um, in high school or something. But we're in the, we're in the back section so far from the stage. And the moment she walked onto stage, it was like this aura took over the room. I didn't have reverence for her prior to that. I just kind of was there. But that presence took over the entire auditorium. And it was like, holy cow. If I wrote down verbatim some of the things she said and read them to you, it wouldn't sound prolific. But when you were there, every word out of her mouth was prolific, you know? And, um, and that was, I remember being moved by that experience and I've read a lot of her books since then and I'm a fan, but that's kind of how I feel with Kelly Slater, you know, and watching that headspace thing, I didn't even go into it with that mood. I just found myself at minute eight watching the guy talk going, wow, dude, this guy. Well, that's the greatest thing about Kelly isn't his surfing. And that's what's so incredible about yeah. it is that it's, he has a sense of, of humanness and uh, humility and a real sense of us. He's a citizen of the world. Mm -hmm. He's constantly, he's truly, he truly has a sense of humility, which is to be in a place of, of teachability. Yeah. And that's where you get the idea that he's not, um, you know, he's willing to learn and to continue to learn and he's thoughtful. And even if you don't agree with what his position may or may not be, you get the sense that, um, yeah, he's truly like, a world citizen. I think that all reflects in his surfing. And you're right, and that's hard to get out of somebody that's the best in the world at what they do. Completely. You know, usually you're going to get like this ego that's just gone wild. How long until the scandal breaks out, you know, right. about right. Lance Armstrong or Arnold right. Schwarzenegger or whatever, like right. there's always skeletons in the closet, but with Kelly, and they may be there with Kelly, but he seems very centered. Yes, you know, exactly and he's right. not high, he's not protecting those skeletons. He has a true um, his spirit is manifest when he's yeah. when he speaks. You know, you get the sense that he's a spiritual guy. And I do think that people surfing is a reflection of their personality. Of course, it's un, undeniable. You know, you can't conceal right. it. No, it's a performance art, and he comes. You know, every, you're right. Everybody's persona comes out. Yeah. And I think that... Which is why a lot, watching surfing a lot of times around your home break, whatever, is incredibly boring. Because there's a lot of boring people. <laughs> That's funny you should say that. I kind of, without uh, reading that much into it, I was thinking that watching the waves this morning at the pier at Huntington, 
just like sitting in my car watching guys surf going like this is awful boring. awful yeah. dude boring. this is not state of the art no yeah. And I'd rather see him ride a more interesting board and try to do something different. Like, it was just just, just present yourself on the wave rather mm -hmm. than try to fit some paradigm. Oh, I've got to go up and down 10 times and score. And did you see my schwank or what? You know, it's like, dude, <laughs> no, nobody Scott, cares. Dude, don't ever ask me that again. Did you see my schwank? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> one thing, though, people talk about Kelly being underscored or overscored or blah, blah, blah. I think... Oftentimes, I feel he is underscored because of what you just talked about in that there's nuance in every body motion of his. It's incredible. It's, yeah, you you really break down this nuance in these turns that he's doing, and it just goes, what? That is unreal. Like, as a polar opposite example, Nat Young is athletic, and he's a, he's a jock, and he's going to just go bang, bang bang and do the same turn not the exact same turn but he has a let's say a repertoire of 10 backside turns and he's going to stick to those 10 on every wave and impose his will in the lip whereas kelly you get a sense that he's kelly's dancing. improvising in every single motion and every drop of water that adjusts he's adjusting to it and that's something that there's no way to score really yeah he, he he sort of has that regal quality that we were talking about with paul stroud mm. jr here who's a hawaiian guy you know he, he has a little bit of that too you know he's you're right there's nuance it's, it's incredible nuance and color in his surfing well we obviously love kelly that was quite a love fest right <laughs> just, there hey you know what but it is what it is i mean it I, is i don't necessarily love him i'm just saying that he's the you know an incredible ambassador and it's not because of his surfing Although his surfing speaks volumes, but, you know, what we just spoke about. Well, I'm going to toss to an email that you and I, I think, both got from uh, listener David P., who said, are you guys, as, this was, okay, yeah, he, he, he says it's in reference to the quarterfinal, but he says, are you guys as baffled by Kelly's quarterfinal? I thought for sure he was going to go next level against Adriana Souza once I saw Mitt go down. The fact that he didn't and went half-assed concerns me for the full season. I thought he got it from last year that every heat counts. Maybe Adriana D'Souza does have the kryptonite. Well, no, you know, I, I think what it is is that Kelly's in a, a, a no-win situation. He goes out and surfs like he surfs in this event, and he doesn't advance. And he's probably, and like I said, he's far and away the best surfer in the world still to this day and out of all of those guys. And I think he might be feeling like I'm in a, I'm in a no-win. You know, it's kind of, it's, it'd be like, uh, well, there are those no-win situations where it's just like, why am I even here? Because I'm, you know, they're, they're underscoring me, as you mentioned, and I'm expected to win. And I'm, I can't do both. You have a good point, except I would say, when did he start feeling that way? I don't know. Because I don't know this that he is feels it. that way. I'm just yeah. kind of throwing out, you know, yeah. you know, internet podcast chatter. You mm -hmm. know, I'm just, I'm just, you and I are just riffing right now listeners comment i think is in reference to the fact that last year it came down to one heat in portugal that he lost in round three and if he had pushed past that heat that would have been enough points to help him win the world title in the end and so doesn't he realize now like basically his his surfing against adriano in the quarterfinals seemed lackluster it didn't seem like he was giving it 110 percent seemed like he was giving it 75 percent and then made a couple bogs and was like oh, i'm just gonna phone it in at 50 percent for the rest of this heat that could be that and and, and it could also be that adriano does have a little bit of kryptonite with kelly i don't know but well there was a great moment in a post-heat interview uh 
of Kelly's round five heat going into the quarterfinal, where I think Rosie Hodge said, how do you feel going up against Adriano? He's beat you four out of four the last times you guys have met. And Kelly was like, what? He has? I didn't know that stat. And she's like, oh, sorry. And he goes, oh, thanks for putting me on the spot. And it was a it was a cool little moment. Yeah, yeah. But that's a good question is, does AIDS have the kryptonite? Um, you know, I don't think anybody has kryptonite against Kelly. I would say that this last heat was... Uh, uh, the real problem was the quality of the waves that were coming in. It was just hard to figure out which one was going to hit the second bank and run up for a long time. And but if anybody could figure it out, the Cooley kids and Kelly are the guys, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know what? I, I, I would say that if I was a competitor out there, I'd be bummed anytime I drew Adriana. Oh, for sure. Anywhere in yeah, the world. Yeah. And he's coming off a tear. I mean, Vulcan Pipe Pro finalist. That's, he, yeah. He won the, the U.S. or the Australian yeah, this Open. This is why Australia. I put him on my fantasy team. Yeah. Because of what you said. The tear yeah. that he's on competitively right now. Yeah. I mean, he's he's in his prime. I yeah. don't know how old he is. He's probably like 29 or 28. I don't think he's that old because he got on tour early. He did. And he's had years, too, where he led the tour for yeah. about, you know, the first third, like the first three events right. he was leading, and then he failed miserably. So I, I think, you know, he's got it all. He's got he's on a tear. He's got tons of experience, and he just beat Kelly Slater. Yeah. And so... So our other gossipy tidbit that I've got for you was that there was a number of lay days, right? But the waves were actually good during those lay days. Not... Uh, not good enough to be consistent throughout the whole day, which is why they didn't run the comp. And of course, that big swell was forecasted. So they waited, and it was a good thing they did. They got great waves. Although, the day after the event was even better from everything that I heard. Yeah. It was like perfect barrels yeah. all day long. Yeah, I saw that online as well. So at any rate, during the delay days, they had a couple expression sessions. Mitch Cruz and Julian Wilson were slated to surf against each other in round three which was going to take place after the lay days. They were also put in an expression session, session together. And Julian Wilson blatantly burned Mitch Cruz twice during that session. Like blatantly dropped in on him, burned him. And then when people asked why, he said, oh, Mitch was surfing too slow. So that's why I went on him. So, good, good. The more of this, the better. So there was that kind of drama going on behind the scenes of Julian trying to put Mitch in his place. But what was amazing is they surfed their round three heat in Mitch schooled Julian. Oh, see, the rookie took it to the veteran. See, now in the ASP broadcast, I don't know if they did this or not, but the producer should, the director should have taken all of these moments in the, in the um, expression session and the sound bites from Julian and played this prior to the heat to build up this rivalry. I don't know if they did that or not. They I hope didn't. they did. Well, they're failing miserably. They need to build rivalries like this. And this is how you do that. This is not something that was um, that was unnatural. This isn't a, a made-up thing. This happened, and, and they should... This is the kind of thing that an NBC director would be salivating over. Yeah. He would be so excited to be able to present this. Look what happened. You know, right. like, let's bring in Jimmy Roberts to go interview him. You know, like, I mean, these things need to happen. The ASP needs to wake up to this. This is the biggest problem... Not a problem, but this is where they're lacking, and they've lacked in this in the past. And this is where I would hope Zosi would go. You know, these guys are from Hollywood. They should know that this is story. This they need this stuff. Yeah, and they may they may start embracing that in coming seasons. You know, um, one thing that Mitch said in regards to him winning that heat, which I thought was classy, was just that 
I got such good waves. Anyone could have gotten through that heat with those waves. So he didn't say anything bad about Julian and about Julian burning him. He just said he got the better waves, which he did. That's code for Julian's a kook. I hate him. I can't wait to get him. <laughs> By the way, do you remember last year or last season, me telling you, Mitch Cruz, watch out for that guy? Yeah, yeah. And I had he was, him on my fantasy team. No, you... I did. Well, well, I had him on the fantasy team last year at the Trestles event as a wild... He, he was, was a, a wild man. card. <laughs> I told you, you're like, dude, why'd you put that guy on your team? And I'm like, I'm telling you right now, watch out. And now yeah. here he is, I'm, taking out the likes of Jules. Yeah, I'm generally wary of rookies, but um, he was a cheap price. I think I got him for like a million five. Yeah, probably. So one thing that I will relate um, Mitch Cruz to Adriano, their surfing is kind of similar in that it lacks that economy of motion that we've talked about where there's a tremendous amount of energy expressed in between maneuvers. Yeah. You know, and it's unappealing yeah. to the eye, but yeah. they get amazing maneuvers done. Yeah. But in between those maneuvers, it's like they have ugly style. But it's it's again, it's a you're you're wasting 50% of your energy at times where you shouldn't be, you know? And so I question that too. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, I got them for cheap price. Not not a bad thing to put them on your team. I'm just as a fan. I don't. I don't love. It's hard for me to embrace. Well, their look. Wins. I mean, there's. You know, I'd rather watch. Um, uh, who's the goofy Clay Marzo surf on? You know, just on it to inspire me. I'd rather see that kid Craig Anderson surf. I'd much rather. I'd watch Rob Machado all day long, relative to half the guys on that tour. Exactly. They're all kind of. Most of them are very robotic and a little bit hideous. Right. And there's only a few. You know, the top guys that you're like, okay, cool. You know, that, that's why I've sort of argued for this this other tour where right. it's just like, you know, it's kind of like a boxing match. You know, I want to watch Muhammad Ali versus, you know, whoever. Right. You know, I want to watch the best go at it. And I'll watch them five or six or seven times over the course of a year. Mm -hmm. And, you know. Yeah, there's definitely an argument for that. Um, we got to talk about Parco before we get into the final. Parco in his semifinal heat. Um, but for those listeners, this event, the finals, the quarters and the semis and the finals took place in the middle of the night for us in California. So, uh, how late did you stay up? I went to bed after Kelly lost in the quarterfinal. Okay. Against uh, Adriana. And I stayed up and watched the final, which took place at one in the morning. Yeah. So yeah, it was a late night, but, uh, Joel Parkinson in his semifinal heat got, a couple of nines. He basically went and sat behind the rocket snapper, waited, got these super throaty but also warbly backwashy ones, yeah. just got pitted out of his mind, yeah. blown out, and then did turns all the way down to Little Marley. Yeah. And um, and he was even throwing away like a high eight or a nine yeah. as his third score. And he came in from that heat with two minutes left on the clock and was back in the competitor's area watching for two minutes because he just knew he had it sewn up. But he tried to implement... First of all, let's say Parco, amazing surfer, no snapper, better than anybody arguably. And for him to get those waves out there, nobody else got those waves throughout the entire event, was really, really entertaining to watch and, and bravo to him. He ends up in the final against Gabriel Medina where he stuck to the same strategy and he got one of them right off the gates. He got a nine point ride and then went out there and waited to do the same thing for a wave that never really came, materialized. Uh, Gabriel Medina, on the other hand, his back was against the wall up until about 12 minutes. 
he got an eight something, which got him out of combo situation. And then in the dying minutes got a similar wave that was in the middle of the bank. He didn't catch it at the top, but from the middle of the bank to the end of the bank, it was straight up and down. And he did probably eight backside turns. There was a little bit of variation among the turns. Some of them were straight up 12 o'clock, just like poking it. And then other ones were kind of tail through the lip turns. There was a couple that were more on rail, but undeniably got the score, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so it's hard, again, coming the discussion of Goofy versus regular. I was kind of watching half that heat with the noise down and without the listening. Noise. The volume. The volume. <laughs> Let's just call it what it is. Exactly. The, the white noise. With the volume down, it just was, I was under the assumption that Parco was winning and was going to win because he just got the bigger wave, got barreled, spit out, and that's how you win heats. But when you really kind of pay attention and watch the nuance, Gabriel did do more critical surfing and deserve to win that heat. Yeah, you know? yeah. So there's un, there's no denying it. And I don't think the internet's even really questioning it. No. But, but it is, it was two very different approaches to that final. Yeah, good stuff. From Parco and Gabriel. Is this my question to you? Gabriel won two events when he was a rookie on tour. Uh, France and Portugal, which are beach break waves that allow him to use that aerial that he's so well known for. He did not rely on that once in this event. Is this the best Gabriel Medina that we've ever seen? Uh, maybe. And, 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 you know, the funny thing is, is that he didn't do any aerials. The other event he won in... Uh, San Francisco, he didn't do any areas. Right, I said Portugal. It was France and San Francisco. Yeah, so right. that's what's kind of neat about you know his his wins. You know, yeah. it's like you would think, oh yeah, he's at some crappy beach break, right? Punting in Rio or whatever. But um, I, I would say look out for Gabriel Medina this year. I, you know, he said all the right things. He did all the right things. He looks sharp. He's, I, I yeah, look out for Gabe Medina. His that's, tenacity to win is only paralleled by Adriano's, in my mind. Like, he goes in it to win it. And he won that heat against Mick in the quarterfinal the same way. It was like, uh, I think it was Mick. It was yeah. Mick or Taj. It yeah, was, it Mick. was Mick. Okay, yeah, where it was like dying minutes and he got the seven by doing the same thing. Yeah. And not a lot of guys can hold it together. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've seen other surfers with the dying moments, get the wave they need and bog because it's a lot of pressure. Gabriel seems to have a much more global approach where it's like, I'm here to win 10 world titles and this is just one small baby step to get there. Get the F out of my way, you know? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And you're, you're probably right on with that. And, and you know, what's interesting about this first event is that as we now move to Margaret, Margaret's River, you know, we've got guys like, Jordy, Julian, John John Florence, who've got some pressure on them all of a sudden. You know, you, those guys should have done better at Snapper Rocks, a perfect right. So it'll be interesting to see how they fare. And on the reverse side, you've got these Brazilian guys, Gabe and Adriano and Miguel Pupu, who now have, have to back up a great result with something and keep the momentum going. So those, those six guys will be interesting to see how that pans out. The three Brazilian guys you just named, I feel like can steamroll the pressure you know what i mean they just come from a different grit where it's like there is no pressure we're just going to win heats period whereas the, i said jordy jordy's the guy that i think has got the most little, like you know best surfer to never come close to winning a world title yeah moniker. yeah totally you know, a little bit like more the, feeble-minded in terms of competitively it yeah. seems um 
Another thing I'll say, and by the way, it's Miguel Poo-Po. Whatever. Not Poo-Poo. Poo-Poo, Poo-Po. When you say it Poo-pon. fast, you get away with it, and I let it go earlier, but now it was more pronounced. Poo-Poo? Poo-Po. Poo-Po? Um, Whatever. So... <laughs> I apologize, Miguel. Yeah, another thing... <laughs> another thing about... It's just getting more and more offensive. <laughs> uh, I don't even know what I said. Something about leche. Milk. Yeah, well, I, heard, I know what milk means, but I didn't hear the first part. <laughs> He's milking the waves. Oh, uh, okay. Um, another thing I'll say about Gabriel Medina surfing. Yeah. He has the ability to turn a five into an eight, which um, we've, we've said that, uh, you've heard that statement before, but to be honest, with the current ASP format of judging, I don't think we've really seen that for a number of years. It was something we used to see Kelly Slater do, where he'd take off on a knee-high wave and get an eight while the other guys are getting set waves and getting sevens. And I don't feel like we've seen that in recent years hardly at all. It was kind of like you need to get the best waves and surf them the best to win the heats. Gabriel Medina in this event took off on substandard waves and won heats against Mick Fanning and Joel Parkinson. And that, I think, is worth taking note of in terms of his surfing, but also maybe the judging criteria is opening up to that a little bit. You know what needs to happen for the, uh, this world tour? is There needs to be a big wave event in this world tour, like yeah. a legitimate, like either at Mavericks or Jaws or Waimea Bay or maybe um, at Toto Santos, somewhere. There needs to be a big wave stop for these surfers. That'd be so amazing. We need to see these featherweight guys. If these are the best, these are the best. I have no doubt that these guys would do well. We need a big a big wave event because I just think it would add a whole nother layer of flavor. It's like another sprinkles on the cake, you know, walnuts and cherries on top. It's just gonna add a whole nother dimension and it really needs to happen. Why don't they? Uh, I think it would, uh, a lot of it is logistics of a big wave events. You know, it's like, oh, we've got a huge waiting period, you know? And, and but, but as opposed to Snapper, they don't have to all fly there, rent hotels, and stay for that waiting period. It could be the way that they run the big wave tour yeah. now, where yeah. once Absolutely. you see the purple yeah. dot show up, it's that's on. when you fly in. Yeah. Uh, and some, you know, sometime during October through January, you have that waiting period. Mm-hmm. And, and the most of them are in Hawaii anyway. And you know what? They're not going to be running Sunset or Pipe if Jaws is breaking. Yeah. And let's have the event. Yeah. You know, and uh, I think I think they need to, th- I'm sure that they are thinking that through because one of those would really add a lot of flavor to the tour. It would shake up the rankings without a doubt. How cool would it be? Oh man, it'd be so cool. I don't even really care about watching the Big Wave World Tour events. I don't either. But They're boring I would, as hell. I would love to watch that one. There's one on today, and I tried to watch it, and it's just mind-blowingly boring. Where is it? Up in Oregon. The Expression Big Wave World Tour is having an event at, I don't know if it's at Nelscott Reef or where it is. Hmm. But look, the level of, I could handle one of those events on the World Championship Tour and see these guys and make them win a world title with this in front of them. Let's put Adriano and Jeremy out there. Love it. <laughs> um, yeah, well, let's start a petition, dude. Let's get this thing going. We maybe, just did. Maybe just a hashtag. What would it... Hashtag. Hashtag. What would it be? <laughs> when men were men. <laughs> I like it. Let's do it. Hashtag when men were men. Start a big wave event on the World Championship Tour. That was really off the cuff, Scott. I got to yeah. give it to you. You doing some improv classes at night or what? No, nah, I'm just uh, relaxed. Who are your standout surfers for the event? 
Well, we mentioned Kelly. Um, Mick looked great. Parco looks great. Gabe looks great. Miguel Pupa. I would say the I was very pleased with CJ Hobgood. Really? Yeah. Well, now that Damien's gone, you have to put all your Hobgood love into one guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I just I, his surfing looked solid. Really? Know? He just he looked he looked good. I'm a big fan. I've quietly never agreed with you with your love for the Hobgoods. I've never expressed that, but I don't know if I have love for the Hobgoods. I'm just I admire their surfing. Yeah, and I admire them as a more, surfer. More so, Damien than CJ. Well, I admire them as a way that I would like to surf. They transition rail to rail to rail, like nonstop on the wave, and it's really beautiful to watch. But when they're in heats, I don't ever really find myself blown away by how hard they're ripping, you know? You know it, well, as I sit and think on it, a lot of the guys that I admire and like to see surf are good human beings. And, really? And the Hobgoods are good human beings. You know, they're like yeah, good, I agree. they're good people. And that's a big reason why I like Kelly Slater so much. He's a great human being, you know. Ross Williams seems like a great human being, you know. Mm. And, um, you know, and there's guys that are either on tour or not on tour, but that are in the surf media that are complete jerks. And I'm just not a big fan, even though they're some of the greatest surfers in the world. Name them. I, I don't want to do <laughs> I'm that. just messing, dude. By the way, I saw CJ Hobgood at Starbucks like a week before the Snapper event. In Huntington Beach. Oh, yeah? Just walked in there. I'm like, oh, my CJ, what? So, you know what the thing about the Hobgood's worst interviews ever? Like, really? You, when you see him do interviews, they're like, here's, a, here's, my, here's my Hobgood interview impersonation. Ask me a question. So, CJ, sponsor list. You excited to get back out on tour? I know you're paying your own way. Seems like it's tough to do. What, what's, what, do you, what are the plans? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of... Yeah, it's weird. It's just, you know, making it happen, just, you know, flowing along. Just yeah, 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 that's interesting. Well, you did really well to get back on tour in 2013, fought on the QS in 12 to get back on there. So do you feel confident now going into 2014, CJ? Yeah, you know, confidence, it's, you know, it's, I, I do, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. It, you know, well, I, look, yeah. Well, back to Todd Klein at the desk. Good job. Hey, great interview there. Thanks, David. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Talk uh, about improv class, dude. I'm just winging it. <laughs> um, they give such bad interviews. Occasionally they give a good one, but yeah, for yeah, the yeah. most part, they're... They seem, it always seems from the heart, though. Like, I agree with you. They seem like genuinely good guys. They're good. They're good guys. Um, you know what I was thinking? This is kind of neither here nor there, but talking about seeing CJ at Starbucks, living in Orange County... California and Huntington Beach. I'm sorry. I am so sorry. For you, you always throw that. I am so sorry. You can be sorry. It's all good. There's always a wave to surf. Miles of closed out beach break and like no. the stone throw to Taco Bell anytime you want. <laughs> Half of that is more, true. More Botox and you know what to do. With. Um, but part of that is like, I don't know that this will be the case in 50 years from now or 20 years from now, but throughout the course of the year, you're exposed on a civilian level to the most famous world sur surfers in the world. You know, like 
every famous pro surfer comes through Huntington Beach at least once a year. And CJ, I don't know why he was there. It wasn't for the U.S. Open. I don't either. Uh, just recently. But but it's <laughs> hilarious, he? dude. You're on there? fire right now. Why was he there? But, but I'm like, honestly, I've had sessions with Tom Curran with nobody else out. Yeah. Like with nobody famous out. Just Tom Curran randomly paddles out and surfs with me. Yeah. Uh, Dane Reynolds, you know, Gabriel Medina, like across the board, everybody. And it's not just at the pier. It's like down the beach. Well, I just want to let you know that it's in their contracts that they have to paddle out and surf at Huntington Beach. And if they don't, they get fined. Okay. Well, thanks for bursting my bubble. <laughs> um, but I mean, that that's something that's really amazing that if you're really into basketball, yeah, you don't go to the park and have a pickup game with Kobe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I don't, and again, and I don't think this is even reflective of surfing in the UK. They don't have that experience. Yeah. It's something that I've become uh, numb to in a sense. Like I'm used to seeing those guys paddle out. I'm like, almost sure. don't think twice about it. Sure. But uh, it's really amazing. And again, 20 years from now, I don't know that that'll be the case. If the sport grows, you know, and those guys could have a lot of pressure on them and not have the freedom to just surf whenever, wherever. If they paddle out at Santa, you might run into them run into them <laughs> 20 years from now you'll be at santa with oh me. i get you oh, funny <laughs> wasn't sure if it was like an adriano jeremy reference oh, running my, into them no my hideous jokes are failing i'm sorry um so yeah. one low light of the event that i'll talk about in terms of production from the asp yeah the redundancy of the commercials yeah they have one set of commercials yeah. that they run three times per heat yeah every single heat yeah that's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, can you not make a batch of five different commercials that you mix in and out? And it could be the same brands. Well, there's, here's a couple things. Um, from an advertising standpoint, it is, um, you know, there's this thing called, um, I guess, it's, is it called redundancy? There's a term for it where they want to run the same commercial over and over because it's going to eventually get, like, you're we're talking about it right now. You know what I mean? And and there's those annoying commercials that they're annoying, but they work because you remember them and you're pissed off about them. But subliminally somewhere, they're going to they're going to get you. Remember when we talked Samsung, the three remember colored when, hey, phones that go like this. We've all saw the ads. Remember when we talked about the law of diminishing returns earlier? Yeah. <laughs> Same thing applies here. That that redundancy thing matters up until time seven. After the eighth, 20th. 30th time you've seen it, you, you start not, being resentful. You, are you resentful against Samsung or the ASP? I will never buy a Samsung phone for the rest of my life because of what they did to me. What if I gave you one? I'll throw it away. I'll smash it with my iPhone. <laughs> Here's my other question. Yeah. Samsung is in the business of selling phones which are highly reliant upon their audio capability. That commercial had zero sound. Yeah. That was the one commercial that had no sound. That was probably a blessing. Maybe. All the other commercials, it's like you get to know the songs. I'm singing along with the song in the Roxy commercial. Cut to pure silence. And I think, oh man, maybe my feed is buffering. Look over. No, it's running fine. Samsung's commercial. Speaking of phones, is there, last forever, there's been a great ASP app where I could watch the event on my phone. I could, the ASP app does not work anymore. Did they want me to go to YouTube and watch? Is that, is that how, what they're trying to do? Or I'm not I, sure. I don't know. Do you have a Samsung or an iPhone? That's the question. <laughs> of course I have a iPhone. Maybe, no, I have an iPhone. 
Maybe it's a droid only thing because they're Samsung's. Yeah, it must be thing. YouTube. It must be they're pushing us to YouTube. Yeah, which via is the YouTube app, I guess. Yeah, um, I watched it on YouTube. The only thing with YouTube, it does it doesn't have the score bar on the right side of the screen. Oh. But if you watch it on ASPWorldTour.com, it's a YouTube embedded video. So it's a YouTube player yeah. with the scores on the right. Yeah, they're pushing the YouTube pretty big because the the feed, the YouTubes that I grabbed and put on my website, downthelineradio.com, did you see that? Yeah, they got disabled. They got disabled, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, great event. Uh, going into Margaret River, looks like Gabriel Medina's in the pole position. So um, I'm, by the way, Margaret River, I'm putting my money on Taj. It's his home. He surfed incredibly well at Snapper. He's looking good. That's a good call, and, and it's a wild card for a lot of these guys, you know? Margaret Surfing. River is. Well, I mean, I know it was a QS and a prime event forever, but, um, you know, some of some of the guys, like Kelly, probably hasn't surfed too many heats out there, and I know they know the wave, but... Two years ago, he did the QS out there and surfed incredibly well on a five-fin. Yeah. He made a bunch of heats. It'll be interesting. I, I don't know if it's a wild card so much as it's certainly, obviously, a new event on tour, and it's going to be fun to see how it plays out. It's a really tough wave to surf. So I think that'll create issues. I think John John's going to do something special. He won out there. He won a QS out there. Yeah, I think he's going to do something special out there. Won against Ola El Olamana, Eliogram, I think, two mm -hmm. or three years ago. But um, I would love to see that, but my money's on Taj. We'll have right. to revisit this conversation in mid-April. Yes. Um, Scott, it was a great event. Psyched. Yeah. Excited for 2014. Yeah. ASP, I think. Did a decent job with it, a yeah. better job than expected. I don't have a lot of complaints. Yeah. So exciting stuff. Yeah, good stuff. DownlineRadio.com. You can find this podcast and stuff about it. And SurfTalkSanDiego at gmail.com is my email. And SurfSplendorPodcast.com, social media at SurfSplendor. For my... By the way, real quick, let me plug the boardroom show, which is coming up yeah. May 17th and 18th. It is a consumer trade show. We're presenting the core of surf as we do each year. This is our 14th show. We're going to be honoring Ben Ipa in the Icons of Foam Shaping tribute. We're going to be uh, we're going to be also having a shaping competition called the Chunk of Foam Challenge, and um, there's going to be live uh, laminating an exhibition, a demonstration. We're going to have a demo morning where you can ride the boards, and live music, video, film, exhibits demonstrations, a ton of fun. In terms of exhibitors, is it only board builders who are exhibiting? No, no, no. We've got, um, you know, it's focused on the surfboard manufacturing industry, but um, we do have wetsuit companies, fin companies, um, there's clothing companies, there's um, a couple guitar makers, you know, there's some stuff. Okay, yeah. sweet. And uh, what's the website? Boardroomshow.com. It's in Del Mar, California, May 17th and 18th. If you get a chance... Fly to sunny Southern California and, and check it out. You'll be glad you did. Even though we're co-hosting this show, this is not surf news. This is the Quicksilver Pro recap. So that means next week we have a surf news episode scheduled. Are you in? I can't. I, uh, I'm not sure. Scott, <laughs> it's on the calendar, dude. You got to do it. I thought this was next week's show. No, we had a show last week for surf news. It's every other week. This okay, week okay. is the recap of All the right. Quicksilver Pro. All right, next Tuesday. Should be posted online March Tuesday 18th. night. Monday. Yeah, okay, perfect. But as far as I'm concerned, this is surf news. So no, it isn't. I don't care what David says. No, it isn't. Is then who's your kook and duke? Where's your musty moment? Blah, blah, blah. 
Um, no, don't give it to me. Because <laughs> this isn't surf news. Okay. Until next week, adios and aloha. Thank you once again for tuning in to another episode of Surf Splendor. Uh, If you listen to this show in iTunes or Stitcher, please make sure to rate and review the show. That just helps other people to find the show. So thanks for doing that. And then follow us on social media at Surf Splendor. Visit our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com, and continue this conversation. Feel free to share your feedback on this episode or just your thoughts on, you know, the Quicksilver Pro, uh, the opening event of the season. I'm sure you have opinions about judging and, and your favorite surfers. So feel free to share those thoughts in the comments section of the show's page. And lastly, just thank you, as always, for spreading the good word and sharing this show with your friends. I know not everybody kind of is a fan of the podcast format or even is familiar with the format, but um, but slowly but surely, the numbers are certainly growing, so we appreciate you and your good effort. So thanks again for tuning in. We will be back next week with an episode of Surf News, and until then, this is David Scales saying mahalo.